0: Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Disc Radio and this is the podcast Liner Notes Revealing Chats with Canada's Retro Music Makers. And today I'm very honoured to have as my guest, Craig McCaw. We'll be talking about recording and working on hit albums and the business part of the business and much more as we get a perspective about the Canadian music scene from someone who's been there for many decades. Craig McCaw was a key part of the very successful 60s band, The Poppy Family, with Susan and Terry Jacks, whose music is an essential part of the Canadian musical landscape. So thanks for joining me today, Craig. How are you?
1: I'm a great. Uh, thanks, Dan, for having me on. It's uh, yeah. I really, really just discovered what you folks are doing, and it's great to hear all these uh, these people that I've followed for so many years and get some insight onto what's uh, what, what's been going on with them. You know.
0: Well, I appreciate that. We're trying to have an extended discussion and, and get into some deeper things and ask, you know, and, and the personal side of it too, you know, like a lot of times, you, you know, about the discography and the recording and stuff, but you don't know what the person maybe perhaps was going through at the time, for example, or, or how they reflect on it. So those are important too, Oh, cool, sure. but I wanted to ask you about you and your, your, your sort of brief history of where you came from and how you came up where you, I, I couldn't find any information about where you were born and raised.
1: Oh, well, I have several outstanding warrants, so I try. And remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's <a> um, secret. <laughs> yeah, actually, um, Terry Jackson and I were born not very far apart in uh, the very beautiful uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I moved out to Vancouver uh, when I was five. A little yeah. bit warmer out here, I thank heavens. And uh, then moved to uh, Kelowna, of all places, when I was. Uh, when i was 13 i was all set to take guitar lessons at ward music in vancouver but then we moved to Kelowna, oh. and uh so guitar stuff got delayed for a little while it's a sleepy little town of twenty five thousand people when we moved there right shortly after the discovery of air on the planet uh, yes so, yeah
0: <laughs> so so what did you do for training then you must have had lots of um like you played keyboards and guitar and you must have had a good teacher up there.
1: Well, actually, yeah. I had, um, had a guy called Roy Stoltz who ran Paramount Music up there, and he uh, he was an accordion player but played the guitar a little bit. But he was a good teacher. And, uh, you know, um, uh, I started to get into it and then started to play a little bit in in uh, in a band called the Shadracks, actually, that we put together. Mm-hmm. And uh, also I was very lucky, too, to, to – um, to meet a guy called John Tanner who's known down here as Jolly John Tanner, he's a radio personality for many many years. But we met in drafting class up there, and oh. I had some Ventures albums that he didn't have. He had the uh the Saturday night uh evening show on the radio still while he was in high school, and I used to uh um, I'm revealing this here now. I used to uh, fill my uh, my empty guitar player's case with uh, beer bottles and hitchhike down to the radio yeah. station. <laughs> oh wow! And then we'd wait until he signed off, which was yeah. at about twelve thirty in the uh, late night for Cologne in those days, and then go through the junk bin, and they would get all these forty fives that they would uh, bring in that they uh, thought were unsuitable to play. In Kelowna, and it was just full of wonderful wow. stuff, like a Hideaway by Freddie King, and on and on and on, you know. Yeah. And um, so that's how we got access to lots of the great music that you would never get to hear in Kelowna, because once we left Vancouver, Red Robinson um, didn't always come in uh, on 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 the radio very well, so we had to. Uh, I there's lots of country music up there which is which is nice music too but i was uh thirsty for rock and roll you know so that's wow
0: that's some dedication there and, and of course yeah i think you're right like the if it didn't fit the format it didn't mean it wasn't good music it's just that they they wouldn't play it so they had all these promo 45s i guess and things that were sent to them
1: yeah yeah that that made really just actually uh the chat got playing around for a little bit and um The very first thing I ever recorded was in the, uh, in the control. Well, they had a little, little uh, talk studio there and, uh, we got the Shadrachs, uh, together, which was Rick Misalem. I think Bob Verge, Clive Spiller in those days and, uh, went in and, um, And tried to do some recording in there. And uh, it was all guitar bands, of course, in those days, Adventures in the Shadows and blah, blah, blah. So I came up with the idea of putting DeBreeze and I and Peter Gunn together in this sort of a a guitar extravaganza kind of thing. And we went in Mm. there, cut it, it sounded sounded very roomy and very bad. So I came up with this goofy idea of putting blankets over the amplifiers, Mm. Uh, and that seemed to kind of do it and that got actually a surprising amount of play in the okanagan valley and i found out later that uh you know there's no there's no records being made in, up there in those those early days um mm. but uh, i guess a quarter inch tape got shipped around to the kootenays and stuff so they were playing that up there oh. too which was kind so of what year would that have been oh boy that must have been 63 maybe okay maybe yeah, 64 you know in yeah. in around there yeah
0: so it's an exciting time for music, right? I mean, oh, it, was, yeah. it was a big deal, you know, and the music scene was, was sort of evolving and growing and and uh, you sort of got yourself immersed in it. Because I, I always wonder with people, like you know, there's a thousand kids that want to play in bands and, you know, you, you sort of play around with it a little bit, but then you make something more of it. How did you end up making something more of it for yourself rather than just a hobby?
1: Well, I guess we just, you know, um, as uh, as... You know, we 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 got to know Tommy Chong and his wonderful band, uh, Little Daddy and the Bachelors, up there as well. Yeah. You know, and as, as uh, Wes Henderson used to say, before the Beatles, um, a musician coming down the street was something where the mother would kind of hide the child's eyes. But but once the uh, once the Beatles hit, everything sort of opened up, and everybody was. Uh, was um thinking about becoming a player you know well, so we a, we, we yeah. actually got an off there was an awful lot of gigs in those days and of course when we saw uh tommy chong's band uh rick missalem knew tommy pretty well and and uh, david graham and we saw them playing in in Colona, and it just took the top of my head off because I, I i'd never been exposed to uh a blues music yeah. before you know and r&b and stuff like that it just just uh took the top of my head off and changed the whole direction of the band really.
0: Oh, cool well I mean yeah and back in those days I'm a little bit younger than you but I grew up in the 60s and 70s but I mean yeah. being in a band was the coolest thing in the world right I mean yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you know you always think oh gee if I uh, not only do I like this music but gee I'm, I'm going to get lots of girlfriends here when you actually realized that yeah. uh, you know you're you're busy packing up all the equipment while all the other people are dancing with the girls and the roadies yes, are running off the girls anyways. <laughs> 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 you better enjoy the music you know and, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and, and, and I actually met, um, when we were living up there, met, um, you know, the Chessman came up to play. Yeah. And uh, um, Terry Jackson, and Guy Bell were, uh, you know, kind of the main guys in that band. So we used to occasionally have parties at my house afterwards, and that's how I got to know them. You
0: know? Oh, cool. Yeah, because, uh, well, I was going to ask you about your training, too. You obviously had some formal training, but... Uh, um, did you take classical guitar? Did you take uh,
1: um, well? You know, there's the famous Chuck Berry line when somebody asked him, uh, "Well, Mr. Berry, can you even read music?" And Chuck Berry apparently replied, uh, "Yeah, sure, but not enough to hurt my playing." Uh, <laughs> <know>? <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, at Paramount Music, I yeah. learned how to read and learned yeah. some basic fundamentals and stuff, you know. Yeah, and from there, just kind of. Uh, just kinda of went for it and and taught myself, no. I suppose.
0: Although no, oh, that's good because I mean at that at the end of the day it's whether you can do it or not. And and obviously you could do it. And then once you get out gigging, you end up the practical side takes over, right? It's like, okay, I gotta play these songs in this way. That's and right. Regar- you know, regardless of what it says on the paper, I gotta play this in the right way. Yeah. So then picking up on that, so then you you met that's how you met Terry Jackson. I was gonna ask you the connection and then how you ended up Getting from Kelowna back down to Vancouver.
1: Well, we um, we were uh, playing all around uh, BC, but not not down in Vancouver. But we um, got connected with Let's Vote. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember all this stuff somewhere along the line, and uh, we might have, you know, we might have actually done a couple of um, appearances on the Let's Go show, which is the the, the famous. Famous CBC variety yeah, show that happened yeah. in the afternoon yeah. and went all across Canada. I mean, so many bands, you know, the Guess Who and all that uh, stuff got yeah. their, their start there. So we might have done a couple of stints on that, or maybe not. We might have gone straight into the Let's Go review, which is a thing that Les put around, which was um, had a bunch of people from the TV show, uh, you know, the C Fun Classics with yeah. all those uh, great players and Mike Campbell, Julian Russell, Susan Pesklovitz. And, uh, you know, some other players. And, and uh, we we would open because we, we were the grunts. So we, we just went, went in and did the opening set and stuff. On the first gig, partway through the uh, the review set, I heard this amazing R&B singer. And she was just ripping Rescue Me, you know, the Fontella yeah. Bass song, into little pieces and spitting it out. Cool. And it turned out that was Susan and I yeah. and I just couldn't believe that voice. So yeah, yeah when I first met Suzette, she was singing uh, just amazing R&B actually, you know, and, and ballads and stuff like that too. Yeah. So we course. met on that on that tour and that that sort of band of crazy folks went around uh Yeah. uh for about a month all around BC and Alberta and we would uh we would ride often with uh, Tom Baird, Clive uh, Speller the rhythm guitar player and I would uh, I guess Tom Barrett kind of took a shining test. And so we'd ride around in his uh, purple Pontiac Parisian and um, hear, learn all about the music business there, of course. And
0: he was, Tom was?
1: Oh, well, he was the keyboard player uh, and arranger uh, for the C-Fun um, uh, okay. Classics. But, of course, Tom Barrett later on went down to Motown. And okay. uh, he was the guy who, they say, kind of brought the strings to Motown. And, uh, you know, he had, you know, the old classic story is uh, Tom barry would be sitting there at the piano, and Barry Gordy would run into the room and throw a fork down, and Tom would say, uh, C-sharp. And Barry uh-huh. Gordy would go over to the piano and play C-sharp, you know. I mean, his ear was yeah. that good. <laughs> well wow. yeah. And he was uh, he was an amazing player and a super, super yeah. nice guy okay. and a good guy so, to get to know.
0: Yeah. So it, for me, that I was trying to figure out the timeline. So if you went from Kelowna, you ended up in Vancouver. It was because of your band and then Les vote Of course, I know Les vote very well because I've yeah. worked with him lots over the years. And I interviewed him actually last year as well. Oh, and, great. Uh, he's... 83 now, I think. Wow, I interviewed yeah. him on his birthday, actually. It was his 83 <laughs> birthday. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so he was your connection that got you on the TV show? Because that wasn't an easy thing to do either, right?
1: No, no. I don't think he was a direct connection to the TV show. Okay. Um, well, you know, it may... Boy, oh boy, it was a long time ago. I'm trying to remember exactly. It may be... No, because we went on that review show... Uh, I guess it was because we had been playing around, and uh, you know, I can't remember exactly the connection. Maybe Ian Suter, um heard about the band and got us on there. Uh, Rick okay. McClelland was a pretty good promoter. That was—I don't think it was Les, unless Les was booking that show, which I—I I didn't know about, which is yeah, not
0: possible. I don't know, yeah. But uh, I was wondering about that because you weren't actually on there with the band, right? You were on there as a player, an individual player, or did you go on there as a band?
1: No, that was the Shadrax. Okay. Yeah, that that was the Shadrax band, and that's and uh, the Shadrax band um, toured with the Let's Go Review. We were the opening act, and then okay. after we uh, we did our set, uh, the whole gang and would would come on, you know. Okay. But it was around that time that we did move to vancouver we made the move from Kelowna, the big jump and it yeah. was actually either california or vancouver and uh yeah. rick um, knew a guy in california who ran a clothing shop who could sort of get us in there uh, sort of um on the sly and get us gigging down there and yeah. we were going to head to california but uh clive the rhythm guitar player demanded that he wanted to go to the vcc at the same time yeah. and so we uh, figured, well, okay, let's hang out in Vancouver. Who Which else? is so who knows what would have happened yeah. if we had gone to LA? That's around the time all those people like Neil Young and stuff like that. Go. Yeah, or we might have yeah. wound up hopeless junkies in a back lane someplace. <laughs> who knows, you know. Well, you never
0: know where the pot of gold is, right? So VCC was Vancouver Community College. Is that that's correct what you meant there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, that
1: figures in this story down the line too a little yeah. bit. But that's yeah, a, so we stayed in Vancouver, and then we. Uh, we recorded a, a song at Robin's Spurgeon's place called uh, Call Up the Man, uh, which we uh, wrote in about 15 seconds because we needed hmm. something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, actually, uh, Tom Baird wanted us to put one of his songs on the flip side, which uh, would have been nice to do. But we yeah. wound up using a Charlie Rich song uh, on the other side. But uh, yeah, so that song wound great. up going to number two. In Vancouver, uh, yeah. which was nice, it's got us lots of gigs and uh, yeah. and stuff, you know.
0: But so. then eventually that morphed, and you became you started playing with the, with Susan and Terry, right? Like the, the the video that I saw. The interesting thing is, you op- it opens up with you playing a sitar.
1: Right. There was a bunch of those shows. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, as, as soon as, uh, you know, the Shadracks got the number two song in Vancouver, of course, the band broke up. So yeah, we played yeah. with various versions of that around. And then I went into um, just just playing at clubs, you know, just uh, yeah. as, as, a, as a pickup player. OK. And um, I had known both Terry and Susan. And I, you know, it may have been Susan. It may have been Terry that phoned me. And I said, uh, you know, we got this uh, gig. It's just a little trio gig with, uh, you know, um, Terry and 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 uh, singing and playing guitar, and me saying, But you want to come and play guitar with us? And I said, sure, okay. And it was yeah. it was a very weird uh, little trip because hmm. uh, suddenly I'd gone from playing in info bands to uh, you know this little trio. But it was fun, and yeah. uh, and and, uh, and we kept doing that. Now at the same time as this, I was. I, I developed a real love of Indian classical music. Okay. And uh, I had um been uh I think I think I beat you know like when we were at Allcans um uh, you know, Shadrachs was was the house band, the Dirty Cells, and oil cans for a while. That's so many great players, Eddie Patterson, all these people. And I beat out Eddie Patterson by about twenty minutes, buying the only sitar that was that was in oh. Vancouver in a huh. little gift shop in yeah. in in in, in uh, Gastown. So, anyways, I started playing that and started really really enjoying the music. But I realized I would love to uh, love to find a tabla player. But how am I going to? How am I going to do that? And yeah. one day I got a call uh, from a friend of mine who was going to VCC, not client, but this other guy and said, um, you know, there's an East Indian family uh, playing a noon hour gig here at VCC. And they have this young guy who's playing the tablets really good. you got to get down here. So I went, what the heck? Jumped in my car, raced down there like mad, just in time. To watch the last of the equipment go into their van and see them drive drive away. <laughs> huh. So I was uh kind of heartbroken. Uh what am I gonna do? And I'm standing around There's this this other Indian fellow was there and I said, Oh gee, I'm so sorry. I, I I I miss these people playing. I I love this music so much. I'd love to get the I hear they had a tablet player and they was saying yes that would be Satwant and I said oh I'd love to get to meet him sometime. So he said um Sure, by all means, I can introduce you, but you have to come to some of my meditation classes first. So oh, <laughs> <I'm> going, <"What? laughs> really um so, okay, I'll do anything to get to meet this tablet player. So I went to a couple of meditation classes, which was interesting, but not really my thing, and yeah. he said to him, uh, "Okay, when does the introduction come?" and uh sort of forced that along, and uh, I went and I got to meet the family, and uh they were just so. Incredibly wonderful. I mean, they just took me right in. Yeah. So here's this weird hippie uh, who has an interest in Indian classical music, and brought me right in. And his mother started teaching me a bit. Um, Satwant's father was a priest out in uh, in New West at the Sikh temple, and okay. uh, yeah, we got along really well. And then Satwant and I would uh, grab a bunch of incense, and uh, they would let us go down at night and we would play in in the temple you know and i was trying to learn all these ragas and things and sat was yeah. very very patient and we had lots of fun yeah. so that's how i got into the sitar thing but the let's go show that you saw the one we were doing with the every brothers um, uh, yeah. that that was before i had met sat I, I was just uh you okay. know but terry and susan really got into the sitar thing i mean as as our little trio gigs uh you know I, I was I was playing you know paper sun by the traffic and, and and various things like that, and they both sort of embraced that indian uh eastern vibe and
0: in, in yeah the music. well and I mentioned that when I talked to her too because it was kind of cool it was different, you know I remember seeing the album cover with the turban you know the sat one wearing the turban and then listening to the music and and the drums weren't overpowering, they were just so. They filled everything up, and the rhythms were beautiful, and it was just a really cool sort of different thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we were rehearsing over at Terry's and uh, uh, Susan's place in in, um, West Van, and, uh, you know, Susan was just beating herself up. Playing the tambourine, trying to carry all the percussion stuff. I mean, she was getting big bruises on her legs from whacking the tambourine and the bean <laughs> It was yeah. just crazy. And uh, we're all thinking, "Gee, we've got to get some stuff." And Jack says, "You know, yeah, I, I don't want a full drum kit." And We all, "Yeah, maybe some guy playing the congas or something." And I said, "Hmm, I know this guy." And yeah. so I phoned him up. And the funniest thing was, uh, he he came over. And Susan went to the door of the apartment to let him in. And Susan goes, you? And Satwant goes, you? Because uh-huh. they were in high school together. Oh. and uh, But they had never spoken, you know. But wow. they both kind of stood out. I mean, here was Susan, this spectacular blonde, uh, yeah. great, famous singer, uh, you know, bright, great personality. Yeah. And uh, here's Satwant. Uh, there weren't very many Indo Canadian kids wearing turbans in high school. Yes. And of course, he was uh, having a tough time. You know, there yeah. there's people trying to beat him up, and it wasn't an easy, easy thing for him to go through. And he was learning English as quickly as we could and stuff that. So he stood out. So they were both these two sort of standout people. As soon as Seth went, came in and started playing, it just clicked. We all knew yeah. right away, you know. Mm, Satwant cool. was sort of like, mm, okay, this is weird. This is not classical music. <laughs> this is like playing Louis Louis for fifteen hours straight. But yeah. uh, it's very simple music for, for a tablet player, but there's something here that I kinda like, you know. And as he played yeah. a bit more, he started to get into it a lot. So that was the that was the nucleus kind of of that of that version of the band yeah. that came along. And as I say, we we're really happy that Terry and Susan both both got, got into well, the Indian thing.
0: Yeah. It, it worked great. So, so I want to ask you a couple of technical questions maybe, sure. but um, so when you, when you, when I watch that TV show, they, they open, you open up playing the sitar, which is kind of cool. And then they, they flash to, you guys are playing, want somebody to love and sugar and spice and a bunch of other stuff.
1: Sure.
0: And then you're playing a telly. Yes. Yeah. So you got to meet you got to meet the Everly Brothers and hang out with them. How was that?
1: Well, you know, we didn't really hang out to them that much. We got okay. to talk to them a little bit in the studio briefly, yeah. but we didn't uh, didn't uh, you know go out for uh, beers or anything like that. Well, Terry but Terry interviewed
0: was, them on the show. Right? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was, and and you know we, we like we did get to chat with them on the show and stuff, mm-hmm. and that, that was nice because they're uh, you know such nice. Uh, Nice guys, actually, old school yep. sort of uh, American Southern uh, guys, you know.
0: Yeah, and, who had been uh, working hard and traveling lots, and they had millions of albums they'd sold by that. Point oh God, yeah.
1: Just yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's for sure, you know.
0: So on your playing, you play, you play a telly and then you have the free floating right hand. I noticed that. I think when I, cause I took guitar lessons from you actually in the, oh, in right. the yes, 80s, I remember
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> I came and
0: uh, you were teaching guitar down at Bill Lewis and I, I, worked. Yeah. I, I appreciated the opportunity because I wanted to come and take a, a, some guitar lessons from somebody cool. who I admired, but also had, had some success, you know, like you. Cool. Been okay.
1: Yeah. No, that started. was fun. I, I, I do remember. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I appreciate that. So if you have the free floating right hand, like you don't rest it on the guitar board, body you you keep it uh, hovered above the strings which i never could play that way do you still play that way
1: uh pretty much i guess yeah you know um, yeah i mean the thing too is that i after a while i stopped using the pick and i just used okay. my first fingernail you know and i used to paint oh. on this um uh, fiberglass nail and stuff like that now, some of that might have evolved out of playing sitar yeah. Um, but on the other hand, let me think you know you, you know you put your thumb on the bridge of the sitar. I, I don't know how that came about, but yeah. and I don't even think about it, but I guess I do. Yeah.
0: Well That's I always thing. notice it because I always plant my, my pinky and my third and my third finger on the underneath the pickup so I know where I am. I don't have to mm-hmm. look at it. But mm-hmm. when I watch you play, you're free floating, which a lot of classical guys do. But I just I couldn't. Oh do interesting. Yet. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And then the other thing I noticed is you have a really wide stretch on your left hand. And I wondered if that was from the sitar playing.
1: Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there again, I don't really think about it, I suppose. It, well, um, yeah, you know, probably not from sitar. Sitar is kind of different. Most of your playing is done with, uh, with your f- first and second finger actually okay. you cool. have all those uh you know those, those those 18 uh, uh, strings or more uh but most of it is done just with a couple of fingers there's not mm-hmm. not a lot of uh multiple finger mm-hmm. kind of stuff going on so i'm not sure okay. where yeah. that comes from just being terrified trying to get to the right note at the right time maybe
0: well I guess but you. anyways I noticed on your left hand you got lots of whole tone stretches and stuff like your hands were Mm. quite wide and I thought because some guys are very you know they're not like that right I mean that's something unusual too for guitar or something that not everybody does yeah
1: well it came in handy with uh, Beyond the Clouds I suppose Uh, yeah yeah, that was uh, that was kind of a fun song to put together actually you mm-hmm. know, the weird thing about that song, I don't know if you want to go there or not, but... Uh, well, sure, yeah, tell um, me. Yeah, we're rehearsing that over at uh, Terry's... Uh, yeah, that was early on, actually, let me think. Yeah, that was our first recording. and it was, we were rehearsing this over at Terry's parents' place. And uh, um, Jax came up with the first four notes, the da-di-da, da, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then with the Eastern thing, I liked the open harmony, so I came up with the last couple of uh, notes that had the open B string kind of ringing. Uh, and then the uh, the middle part was pretty much all me. And that runs down, and that goes down to an E up on the fret. And then I can reach over with my little finger and get that open string harmonic at, at the end of that rung. So I oh, guess, yeah, okay. come to think, but maybe <laughs> that, that came in. The funny thing about yeah. that song, it didn't start off using a wah-wah pedal. Mm. Uh, w- when I was in... Um, Dillonagin went down to Penticton. Uh, some people said there was a really good country band playing in Penticton with a really good guitar player, and I wish I could remember the name of the band and I wish I could remember the name of the guitar player. But I went <laughs> down there, and this guy was truly uh, phenomenal, you know. And he uh, he taught me a couple of things. One that I saw is that with a Stratocaster, there's three pickups, um, and you can set the tone controls on a Stratocaster. If you do that, so the bridge pickup is bass, and then middle pickup is like middle tone and then the bridge pickup is sharp as you play the guitar you can pull the tone switch between the three pickups and you create kind of an organic wah-wah sound oh just from the strat without without using the wah-wah at all
0: so it's a pull switch like the tone switch is a pull-up or or yeah yeah it's
1: it's a three-way switch on the strat and at, at the top it it's uh, you know uh, controls the uh, um, pickup by the bridge in the, the front, middle. Yeah, it's yeah. the middle pickup, yeah. and at the very bottom, it's the one closest to the bridge, course, which is yeah. going to be yeah. trebly anyway. So you, you can tune if you have any strat players, you can try it yourself. And it's it's uh, yeah, you just as you you start off with the uh, you know the, the pickup switch uh, all all the way up, and you play, it, as you as your hand sweeps down, you go click click click. And yeah. it uh, goes between the pickups, and he, yeah, and gives that sound. Now, of course, the problem is, it's uh, it's a real pain to play. So when yeah. the Wawa pedal came along, <laughs> I was pretty yeah. quick quick to grab that. But yeah, uh, yeah. And
0: I used I used to have a five position switch on my Strats too, because I always liked the the back two, front two.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. My old sixty one Strat has the ability as you go in between those pickups to, to do that out of phase kind of thing, which, which is a great, great sound, yeah. you know, but that, that other, uh, the other thing I learned in, in Pentictrum from this color, uh, are, uh, the, from this um, country player yeah, yeah, was yeah. Uh, uh, the fact that um, he had a rig uh, that was, you know, uh, and especially in the Okanagan, you couldn't find slinky strings. They, they just hmm. did. I, I, I didn't know they existed. But this guy um, called—it's a word that we can't use and I won't use—but he called yep. it a blank rig. Yeah. And um, what he did was he took a normal set of strings and moved them all down, and yeah. then put a banjo string on the high E oh. string.
0: So they would be eights then, um, or or nines.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I I'm not really sure, but it, it was because you couldn't get all these these fancy yeah. gauges individually in those days. So this is just a I regular um, sort of uh, set of strings like the Ventures that play were quite, yeah. quite thick, you know, then you just move the A string down to the to low the E string. string. Yeah, cool. And then stick a banjo string on the top. And that was the first time I learned about slinky strings. Once I learned about that, wow, it opened up a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, that's neat. Pretty techie there, but anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that because I'm a guitar player too. So I like to talk <laughs> about the music stuff a little bit, but yeah. Um, so the other thing I was going to ask you about is a lot of those TV appearances, you know, because uh, when when the Poppy Family played, there were a lot of them were lip synced, right? I mean, they kind of force you to do it. But those uh, music hop shows, they were live, right? You were actually playing on those.
1: Yeah, I think I think it might have been a combination. You know, there, there's a whole bunch of them. I've I've got a few of them, and there's a bunch on YouTube as well. Yeah, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, but uh, I think that. It was a bit of a combination, to tell you the truth. Okay. I think uh, some of the earlier on,
0: yeah, it it was
1: back and forth, but I think mainly it was live in in the early, early days, you know.
0: Yeah, because I asked Susan about that, but she said that Terry used to like to lip sync because the sound was, of course, better, but then you're standing there with no microphone, and it's so obvious that
1: you... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it's true.
0: Well, interesting, and so... So this whole thing with uh, Susan and Terry like you you helped to form the the Poppy Family and you guys had a huge rise. I mean it was meteoric as they say, right? You guys had multiple hits. You were you were kind of a rock star overnight.
1: Yeah, it got to be um got to be pretty big, pretty pretty fast, I guess, you know. And and, and the first couple of years of the band were were really quite uh really Quite creative and quite fun. It's the old "greater than the sum of the parts" kind of thing. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, Terry and Susan were obviously the front line. I mean, Terry was a great, great writer and a good rhythm guitar player and a and a, uh, and, a and a singer. And Susan was, of course, well, what can I say? You know, I mean, yeah. she was the focus of the band and and and, uh, and stuff like that. But they, uh, it was a group thing. You know, I mean, um, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, one. If 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 you go to those let's go shows on on YouTube, you can see that we went from that Every Brothers show, which was a you know a p- perfectly uh, acceptable um, co- cover band, and got a chance to play with the great Cat Hendrix, to um, this bunch of sort of semi hippie cosmic weirdos playing. Uh, f- free from the city uh, on a magic carpet flying over the clouds with a hookah with the tablet and sitar, you know, (laughs) uh, that, that one is out there on, on YouTube too. And it's really, it's really fun. It's really fun to watch, you know? So um, there's this, there is a sort of a concept that seems to be going out there, which I don't think. Is really originates with Terry, uh, and I don't know why it would, but that the Poppy family was a duo with various accompanists uh, uh, mm. coming and going, you know. And um, it certainly became that, uh, yeah. but for the first couple of years, I think the influence that Sathwant and I had on the band is, is, is pretty obvious, you know. Well, I, I think um,
0: so. I, I would agree with that. Absolutely. You know, uh, I, I, I,
1: maybe I'll leave the last word on that to uh, Shania Twain. <laughs> She said something really nice in her book, you know. Um, I think she was talking about being inspired by single artists. Uh, But in her book, she says, uh, the the group artists did even more to inspire me. Bands like the Poppy Family, Crosby, Stills, and Nash drove me crazy with creative inspiration. Like the sky was the limit. So she called us a band, you know. So I think we were a
0: band. <laughs> well, 100%. And and the, the things that you brought to it. And it's it's interesting what you say about the carpet and the sitar and stuff. But, I mean, the Beatles had had that Eastern influence. And yes. it was kind of a different sort of cool sort of twist on things that, that set you apart. So it certainly was – it took you out of being a generic sort of 60s band.
1: Well, I think you. the thing that made it was the fact that it was, you know – so different but backed up by Susan's great singing and Terry's great writing, you know. Yeah. Uh and uh you know, we'd go into these gigs at the at the gardens or or, or something like that. It'd be these bands with uh, walls of marshals, you know, and stuff in there. We go out with our little my little yeah. bandmaster and Terry's the uh, Standel and the Satwine playing the tablets. There you go. And I figure how you know, we're gonna get, get creamed here, we're gonna get eviscerated. Yep. But uh, they liked it, you know. And so I guess it was just because it was different and it kind of worked, you know.
0: Well, and and you're right about Susan. I mean, you know, it's you just can't say enough about how rich and and her voice was so beautiful and her tone and her her pitch control and everything was just really exceptional.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, when you're playing with people that good, it really does inspire you too,
0: you know. Yeah. Well, it's neat because you called me and, and we talked about the interview I did with Susan and and you know w- w- what a wonderful person she was and of course she just passed away just a month ago. What what was your relationship with
1: her? What? Oh you know, yeah, you know, we what we what? Were, she was a dear friend since. Uh, well, you know the funny thing is that I actually appeared live on stage with Susan uh, certainly before any of the other poppies did. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at the last uh last song in the let's go review was that was an ensemble uh thing where everybody got on stage at once and we sang i don't know i can't remember what it was and and played this stuff and so i was on stage with Susan way back then so that's going what would that be i don't know that would be 66 or something maybe 65 60 16 yeah. years old right a teenager yeah. Yeah, you know, so she's, uh, she's been a very dear friend ever since that time. So yeah, it was really tough to see her go. We knew she was slipping, you know, and uh, stuff like that. But it's always a shock when it actually comes. It's it's a shame, you know.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and she was, she had a lot of struggles. And of course we, we talked about that a number of times, but, um, you know, I wonder for you, like the emotional part of it as well, like being her friend and then playing with her and then the whole situation with Terry and stuff, what happened with, with you and Terry, I guess he, he wanted to move in a different direction is what Susan said. So he-
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, toward- <laughs> you know, here's the deal. It was a band. It was a bunch of really creative people. I'd like to include myself there. And we traveled around doing all this high-intensity stuff, and uh, then the band uh, had this um, flame of of creativity, and then things started to change. People started to want different things, and uh, the band started to not get along, and the band broke up. Now, let me ask you a question. Have Have you heard that story before? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's kind of what happens with bands. But yeah, you know, towards the end, Terry had a definite direction that he wanted to go in. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the financial end of it did, did kind of change, too. I mean we're all doing pretty well there. I, I don't know if you remember the Stephen, uh, Steve McQueen movie bullet where no. he's driving that Mustang around, no, 100%, you know, that's yeah. my one Francisco. little, uh, yeah, yeah. It was it's still, it was still one of the great driving scenes. And he actually did that stunt himself too, yes. yeah. uh, you know, at the, par- at the very end of it, apparently the cameraman said, "Oh, oh I'm out of film. And McQueen says, that's good because I'm out of breaks. <laughs> so- <laughs> but uh, two weeks after seeing that show, I went out and bought a green Mustang Fastback High Performance GT. Oh, wow. yeah. And uh, it was my one little uh, uh, sort of rock goof uh, thing. I remember the... Uh, uh, the manager at go forward saying, if I hear you got this thing out at uh, Westwood, I'm going to cancel the warranty. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I drove that for a while yeah. and uh, had some fun. And then I scared myself and I, yeah. I actually sold it to uh, help finance my trip to India. But that's another story. Oh, that's but yeah, so and it, uh, and he wanted to change it so that instead of being a band, we were, we were uh, side men and on a flat salary. And okay. it was becoming less sort of enticing to me and less creative to yeah. me in a way you know I felt that uh yeah. it it was, actually there's some you know there's a funny thing there there too, whereas in uh poor Tom Harrison trying desperately to na- navigate the mysterious and choppy waters of the poppy family um, it says that uh, Sing and Macaw played on the first two records and didn't play on anything else but then we're all over the first album and uh, there's pictures of us recording in, in, uh, yeah. at uh, with the London Philharmonic and in England. So this whole sort of thing kind of came up, but it's, it's nasty. You know, you hear about the band breaking up and you hear about the guess who big.
0: So, yeah, yeah,
1: we, we had planned to leave. Um, You know, it was sort of anarchy on stage. Everybody was aware of it and uh, we had planned to leave after Japan. Um, Terry beat us to the punch. She did, you know, uh, say we're going to break up the band, you know, but um, we had uh, arranged to get our return ticket from the Canadian Pavilion in, uh, in you know, Osaka, applied to an around-the-world ticket so we could continue on to India. I, I wanted to go to India and study. So okay. I wanted to go back and see his old friends and, and hang yeah. out and play a bit there, too. But, yeah. So I, I always say that uh, getting fired from the Poppy family at that last um, Six months was like being ordered to walk the plank as the Titanic is going down. Yes. <laughs> it well, was kind so. of over, you know.
0: Well, I, I, and also, I mean, the emotional part of it too. Like Susan didn't have very many nice things to say, uh, as you would have heard when you listened to my interview with her. But, you know, for you guys too, you know, they were a couple. So being in a band is oh, hard yeah. enough as it is. But when you have a couple in the band, and then, of course, they have their own internal squabbles and sure. issues, and then you're, you're kind of involved in it in a sense. Because you can't really avoid. Being, right?
1: Yeah, it was tough. You know, I mean, um, Terry would be um, you know trying to get the best performance out of Susan. I think a little too hard, maybe. You know, yeah. and uh, she would walk off stage in tears. And then, of course, Terry would have to walk off and stage uh, w- walk off the stage to try and get her back. And that leaves Satwant and me standing there in yeah. front of six thousand people yeah You know, I uh, want to hear some Chad Atkins with tablets? yeah you know? <laughs> yeah yeah there you go yeah. so uh, yeah, you know, and they they weren't getting along, we would have to get our hotel rooms as far away from them, so we wouldn't have to hear it, so yeah. it was one of those um, human nature kind of things that was kind yeah, of, too I bad, appreciate you know. it. yeah, but you know. You know, it's uh, it's just kind of what happens in bands sometimes. You know, so.
0: I guess, yeah. That I mean, she she used the word abusive a number of times, but um, you know, I guess that's that's just is what it is, and and they ended up splitting up shortly after that, anyways. So,
1: yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it wasn't very nice. Okay. It Was not very nice. I guess that's the best thing I
0: can say. Well, she uh, in the interview, she certainly spoke very highly of you, as you would have heard, and and she respected you both as a an entertainer, musician, and as a person. So I
1: did was... hear that. Yeah, that was very yeah. very nice of her to say that. Yeah. Well, yeah. we got along really well, and and when we were on stage together, you know, it, it's really true that uh, that we did have this sort of. Uh, that was going on yeah. with, uh, you know, Satwine and Susan and myself and stuff.
0: Yeah. And I always thought she was a super nice person. I didn't know her as well as you did, but uh, you know, over the years, but uh, oh, I just yeah. thought she was a genuine person.
1: You know? Yeah, no, she would, yeah. uh, she would do everything. She would go out of her way just to help people, yeah. you know?
0: And, yeah. Uh, and were like you that. able to, her celebration of life, were you able to attend that? Or?
1: I was there, but, uh, I've got this ridiculous immune system. Uh, my second, uh, covid booster uh, i just turned into a vegetable my oh. the, my arms just <laughs> became like gorilla arms hanging down there oh, i just had that. a um a shingles uh vaccine and there again i was like uh, you know rolling around the, uh, the crawling in my belly like a reptile with the reaction to that one and so number four uh terrible timing i i foolishly went ahead and got it and my left arm just turned into a noodle oh, uh sure so i wasn't that. able to play at it which is something i will really Got,
0: uh, I always, well, I know. guess I mean you would have been uh, one of the key people. So, so you were asked to play at it.
1: Yeah, yeah, play. Sat played, and I was I uh, sparing no expense. I bought a new nine volt from my Wawa and everything. Wow, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it sadly, uh, sadly didn't it didn't uh, didn't come to
0: pass. Was Terry there?
1: No, 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 no. We we talked. You know, Terry and I. Yeah, you know, I mean, Jackson and I used to hang out and party before the poppy family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we used to, we used to play, you know, good natured practical jokes on Jolly John Tanner and, and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, um, I'm okay with Terry. I just can't work with the guy very much. Yeah. It's he's, uh, you know, we have sort of different concepts and, uh, yeah. and stuff like that. And he's, he's pretty, you know, there's two, two kind of, um, with producers, music producers, there's sometimes, you know, it's middle ground, I suppose, but there's two sort of, there's the the character of the stick, you know, and there's some, some producers that will try and get an artist uh, embarrassed or angry or whatever it takes to get them emotionally raw to try yeah. and get a, you know, great performance out of them. Um you know, I'm I'm kinda of the other way. If I get too much the to stick it makes me reach for my guitar case. I, I, yeah. I kinda of do that. You know, I mean partly that was the deal with uh which way you go in Billy. I played in everything else in the album except for that one song. Oh um, and uh the good news about Billy was the you know, the studio time was, was free. Uh, the mm. bad news about Billy was the studio time was free. Right.
0: Okay.
1: Uh I, I believe he swung a deal I wasn't there. I don't know complete details but i think that he uh swung a deal um so he could get the um time for free with a percentage of the record okay and uh, so the takes went on and on and on and on and i i wanted to play the opening line in uh li- like an octave sort of george benson so you get three octaves with the um mm. the guitar and the bass uh guitar doing two octaves the bass right doubling that. And um uh, Jacks just wouldn't wouldn't uh go there at all. Hmm. And I wasn't as adult as I could have been. I wasn't getting into it and I was not it, yeah. so anyways Doug Edwards and I, he uh, you know Edwards uh is, is a great player, but he hmm. and I used to laugh about it. Uh yeah. When we bumped into each other said, I he you know, he said, I couldn't play it. I didn't play I couldn't hmm. play what he wanted to hear either. So Well Susan but,
0: said that was released as a single before the album was actually done, right? Yes. Yes it was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then is are you playing you're playing on Good Friends, right? Is that you doing the two string solo in there?
1: Uh, uh yes. Well I've I, I played on everything on the first album.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And I played either guitar well, I played guitar, sitar, and harmonica. Oh, okay. On on the first album.
0: Oh, very cool. Yeah, well that was I think that was the biggest album. Billy was the biggest song, right? That went to number yeah. two in the US yeah. and then number one in Canada for a long time. Yeah. So then you uh, you did a, a recently did a thing with the Poppy family with Susan and Satwant, uh, the Hippie Days event on 4th Avenue. W- what year was that? Was that 2014 or something? Was that-
1: Yeah, I think so. It was a while ago. Yeah, that uh- was um, Tom- Thomas Anselmi from the great band uh, Slow uh, uh, approached us and said, how would you like to do this this thing? And we thought about it, and went, um, sure, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, the new Pornographers and Black Mountain yeah. and Destroyer. Those those are great bands. Cool. And uh, actually, they were using, a, um, got into doing a bunch of uh, screen composing uh, yeah. for t- TV shows, using some software, uh, creamware stuff, which is little known. Hans Zimmer uses it, but... Uh, hmm. Uh, they have some great sense, and I was amazed to see they had they had a hardware version in that sense, so yeah, we got yeah. together with those guys and yeah. uh it was so much fun to uh you know to, to play with them it was it was a technical um challenge no. <laughs> for me in a way because what was going on was uh um you know the keys have changed mm. so I had to uh in the poppy family uh because we had no bass player, I used to play a telly. Uh, most of the time but i had my strat also tuned down so for some songs we get a little bit more bottom end and so uh now the keys have all changed and so then i've got a lot of muscle memory trying to unlearn these songs in a different key and then i've got the telly not tuned or yeah the telly tuned down because of some open string harmonics and stuff and then i've got the strat not uh, same with the sitars. I had to have two sitars uh, oh. for different creases. So I had this monster kit that we had to set up in about uh, five seconds oh, on geez. stage. So there's a lot of technical dancing.
0: So did there. you do drop D or did you just tune the whole guitar down to like a just, baritone sound? Just
1: tune, just tune the whole guitar down, yeah. The like full tone? Um, what? Uh, well, when playing with poppies, the, the strap would go down to, uh, uh, you know, the E. Yeah, like... If you were playing an E chord, open E chord, that would be an open D chord. so, okay, so a you're down to tone. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well,
1: that's cool. And then there was various combinations of that. So I, I'm busy trying to unlearn and then transpose on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> the and, stuff. and when you're
0: in a different tuning, you've got to change your brain too, right? That's yeah, yeah.
1: You know, and then uh, it's, it's, so I've got the charts and I'm sort of scrambling to yeah. try and but it was, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, playing with those guys mm-hmm. is so, I mean, you know, new pornographers can fill Madison Square Gardens for God's sake. We finished the first, uh, rehearsal and, uh, Kurt Dahl and a couple of guys come up and said, Oh, could you play beyond the clouds? Oh. And, uh, so I said, sure. Okay. And they went, Oh yeah, it's in a different position. That's so I was really <laughs> talk about an ego boost. I guess they had heard yeah. beyond the clouds and, um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and learned the song, you know, Yeah, and, uh, that was, that was, uh, that well, was that's what's nice
0: than... about YouTube now, because you can save yourself all the work. You just go on there and watch it and <laughs> yeah. play it. And you yeah, go, oh right. yeah, yeah, that's what he's doing. Okay. <laughs> right. That's yeah. true. That's true. So, that's true. so yeah. one thing I was always curious about with you is that after the Poppy family, you, you didn't try to get into another recording act or start one of your own or
1: I did a lot of playing actually. Um, yeah, I yeah, see the thing with me too, is that astronomy, um, It's always been a really big deal to me. When I moved to uh, Kelowna, uh, all of a sudden I got, you know, turned on to the sky and John Tanner was really into it. There's a lot of musicians, you know, Jack Bruce, for example, had a huge observatory. Um, Brian May, of course, has a PhD in astronomy. Um, Ralph Dyke, uh, boy, it'd be fun to talk about Ralph Dyke sometime. He's uh, he's the guy who invented the MIDI sequencer. And uh, not too many people know that. He's a Vancouver guy. And he's the guy, but he, um, he was good friends with Oscar Peterson. We had this crazy house over in 1438 Arbutus and, uh, with all the radio people and Ralph and stuff like that there'd be, you know, and Ralph went down and worked with Toto, Michael Jackson, oh, cool. uh, all this yeah. stuff. And we get people like, uh, you know, um, uh, Tim Buckley and uh, Small Faces and uh, uh, Oscar Peterson was a big MIDI fan. Not too many people know that, but he got to be good friends with Ralph, and Oscar would show up in the house and stuff. But uh, first time Oscar looked through Ralph's uh, little telescope at the planet Saturn, uh, he said, "I feel so humble," you know. Yeah. And it, it does have this effect on you. So astronomy mm-hmm. has always been a big, a big thing for me, almost as much as music. And so we started doing uh shows at the planetarium we my company roundhouse productions uh i produced promoted and presented the laser shows at, at the planetarium for many many years and so i was always into that too so as well as playing in bands and that i think but i played yeah. with um oh boy i got into a band called 66-6 uh and that had the first sequenced uh bass line uh Uh, that we recorded over at Little Mountain, and that Mm -hmm. got a little bit of airplay. Also played with uh, the Waves Band with Jack Velker and Ross Barrett for many years. I know we got the, weirdly, the Jazz Band of the Year or something for the West (laughs) Coast Music Awards. Cool. And, uh, yeah, the 66 single did okay locally, you know. Um, Then I became the resident composer for the Planetarium and uh, started scoring uh, basically um all their shows and they would you know sell shows around uh around the world actually so i got
0: yeah that. it was very very famous and and the other thing is you, you started doing the laser shows like the like the pink floyd one was really famous i mean especially around here but everybody everybody knew of it and, and a lot of people went to it and that okay. was right on the cusp i mean that was right at the late 70s when lasers were really just you were right on the ground floor there right
1: yeah yeah it was uh it's uh it's amazing um not too many people connect the poppy filming and the laser shows together, but there's, I think Dana G said it was uh sort of became a rite of passage, a rite of passage uh, for Vancouverites. And it's, it's almost true. I mean, anybody of a certain age, I, I mentioned those laser shows or laser right. shows come up and they, and they sort of remember it. You know, we used to get bands like uh, Coldplay and uh, Radiohead would send us a pre-release um, version of their new album and after signing a million ndas they would give it to us so we could start production on the show to time it with the release of their of their product cool and yeah. uh, it was always fun and i used to love uh love scoring well actually we're, we're doing that again We the um kind of situation changed at the mcmillan they used to produce all their own shows and stuff which they don't do that so much of that anymore so we've uh there's an undiscovered planetary motor BCIT, which has been there for many years. It is a beautiful analog uh, star projector. And we've been out there uh, for a little while doing shows out there. It's all with new technology. Okay. Um, and, um, uh we're just coming back after covid now we're about to open pretty soon we've yeah, also been good. moving those shows into vr i discovered yeah. a technique because there's no uh z-axis volume with the laser we can drop them into stereo 3d and vr so i'm oh. busy kind of
0: working on that okay yeah, i was going to ask you about that so so there's no more because pla- on your website uh it says that their shows are returning soon and i was wondering after covid if are you going to go back to the planetarium or is that done now
1: no, no, we're, we'll be, uh, yeah, no, we were packing them in before COVID. Absolutely. No, this yeah. is at the BCIT Planetarium. Okay. Which is a little different than than the Macmillan. It's uh, yeah. it's smaller and it's humbler, but uh, in some ways, I actually even enjoy it just as much, if not more, because we have uh, a little bit more control over there, you know. Okay. And so that's, yeah, we're just in the process. We'll be coming back with a new show that we're working on uh, yeah. night and day now. And um that will be opening uh hopefully mid summerish, I
0: guess. Okay. Know? So so the H. R. McMillan, that doesn't they don't have those shows there anymore?
1: Like no, that? no. Okay. They they came you. up with uh, the management changed and as I say, they used to uh, you know produce all the astronomy shows and, and I used to right work too. on those yeah. as well. And the Apollo and, eleven uh, show. No.
0: I'm I'm sorry? The Apollo eleven show? Was that? Um, were you involved in that too?
1: Let me think here now. There, uh, gosh, there was a bunch of them. Uh, okay. yeah. i to tell you the truth. I, I kind of forget all the names, but yeah. there was. Uh, okay. I think the uh, the journey through the galaxy was probably the biggest one that traveled around the world. And actually, there's uh, there's a uh, Grammy nominated producer. A guy called Hunter Lee has a company called Light in the Attic Records. He got his Grammy no- nominations for releasing on vinyl hmm. a bunch of Lee Hazelwood, Nancy Sinatra uh, stuff. Oh, cool. Uh, and that's what he's just got. just had a new one out. But he phoned me up a couple of months ago and uh, said that uh, you know that he liked the Journey Through the Galaxy album very much and he wanted to re-release it on vinyl. Yeah. So I mean I put out that album in nineteen seventy eight if you can believe it. Wow. And it it sold out and it's kind of you know, uh I saw a collector's site a while ago where a single copy was going for two hundred and sixty dollars or yeah. something from Skype. Some kind of I wish I had a thousand left. <laughs> um so um yeah, I guess that, that Galaxy yeah. album will be re released on, on on vinyl coming up. So
0: Okay. And so, and so you do have a show in the works and it will be at the BCIT Planetarium? Planetarium.
1: Yes. Yeah. Coming up mid mid. And that's on the
0: BCIT campus right at uh, the freeway in uh, Willington there?
1: Yeah. You're right, right by Willington. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,
0: very cool. So, well, I'm glad you're still involved in that. And then you, do you did some scoring? Did you do jingles and scoring for TV or movies? I, I,
1: well, I did some jingle stuff uh, back in the old days. Did a fair amount of jingles. I mean, I was playing sitar in beer commercials, if you can believe that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a good friend of mine, that um, uh, bass player, he actually played bass on the on on the Galaxy album too. Uh, asked me if I wanted to get involved in doing some animation scoring a, a while okay. ago. Okay, and uh, and so I uh, yeah I, I did some of that. Uh, I like it. It's you can. Um, You know, you can write all different kinds of music. If you go to Hawaii, uh, you pick up a ukulele and write a couple of Hawaiian tunes. If there's a car chase, you write car chase music. If you're in the moons of Jupiter, that's that's kind of what you're doing, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, there's one of them... um, Monster Rancher, I guess, played in twenty-six countries around the world with a weekly viewership of thirty million people for oh. three years. Yeah. So I probably got as much, if not more, exposure out of, yeah. <laughs> out of that theme song than I did from the Poppy Family. The only difference is I'm just a name on a credit going by, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's 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 fun stuff. It's it's. Uh, but then on some of them too, you know, you have to crank out twenty-two minutes of music a, a week. And uh, and the lure of the dome, lure of astronomy, uh, got back to me too. So I've sort of been focusing oh, cool. more on the dome. There's a lot of a lot of players have sort of get into the visual. You know, Joni Mitchell's done some great painting. Van Morrison. Yeah. Um, you know, the visual arts are, are seem to be. Seem to be um, fun for a lot of.
0: Well, I players. think too that other other interests spark the music interest too. Like they're they're not yep. uh, they don't fight against each other. They're compatible, right? They yes, you know. Yeah. So so that's nice too, and I, I I applaud that. And then, so let me just do a little plug for that Roundhouse Productions shows and also Craig F Macaw links to that as well. If people want to go there and have a look, yeah.
1: Check is in the mail. Yeah, I
0: know. That's good. I want to <laughs> send people there and have a look because, uh, again, like I said, if you started in 78, now here we are 40-whatever years later, oh, yeah. you were that's right it. on the ground floor of that stuff because anything laser was, was in its infancy, and it was a big deal, and it's still a big deal, but it's morphed. I mean, you must have seen the whole evolution of…
1: Oh yeah, the early lasers were crazy. You know, they cost you forty thousand dollars for a one watt, and if you didn't hold your mouth right when you turned it on, it would blow up. Wow. <laughs> but it's all diode stuff now. You yeah. know, and, and you know we've got kids coming to the shows whose parents first date was was at a laser show. Yeah, well, Seth cool. Rogen is a big fan too. I don't know if you know that, but oh. he, he used to come to the shows all the time. Yeah.
0: And there was a danger yes. element too about like you couldn't look into a laser and stuff. Did you ever? How did you deal with that?
1: Oh yeah, no. Well, I was very careful. I've had a couple of close calls. Have you? But and I do know some laserists have uh, have had some uh, you know black spots burned in their eyes. I mean, mm. during Expo it was crazy. We had five pavilions down there, and they're all going at the same time. They're all big, super high power lasers, and I can wow. remember working on one in the. Uh, Yeah, and the Expo Center, which became Science World. We also ran shows in Science World for for about 10 years, too. Oh, cool. Working on this thing, balancing up on a plywood on a stepladder with four watts of argon going pound, 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 pound on my Mm -hmm. forehead, two inches away from my eyeballs.
0: (laughs) Was that at the geodesic dome there? Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. It it started off as the Expo Center. We had a show in there a year before Expo. That's a long time ago. Wow. And uh then a couple of years after um Science World, uh the ASTC Science World Society moved off of Granville Street and into the uh the golf ball down there. Yeah.
0: So. Wow. Well, that's super cool. I didn't know that, but that's, it kind of makes sense, but Expo was 86. So we're talking again, almost 40, like 30. Oh
1: boy, time for my nap. Eight years ago (laughs) or
0: whatever. Well, very cool. So let me ask you, looking back on your, on your career and what you did and the choices that you made and stuff, is there anything that you'd do differently if you could do it again?
1: Oh boy. um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, if I say not, I sound like this catastrophic uh, egotist. Sure, I'm sure there's a few things, you know, but I guess I, I like to complain, but I probably shouldn't. I don't know, you know. Yeah, it's all been a wild, crazy sort of a trip that's been, it's been most of the time a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah part
0: of it is what I ask is, you know, did you have a plan when you set out? And most people say, well, not really. I mean, I just, did what came along, you know, I guess the, the TV show came along and the poppy family came along and then it yep. went away and then you did pivoted and did something else. And it's not a bad ride, but you don't plan it out. You just kind of take the ride.
1: Yeah. I guess the thing is, is luck, you know, really it's just, it's just so much luck, uh, all the time. I mean, you know, if, uh, if we hadn't wound up on that TV show or if we hadn't, uh, started playing, but I guess the thing is, if it is to, um, Kind of have enough going and have done enough homework to take advantage of the luck when it comes along. So you can yes. uh, you can capitalize on the, it. The harder know. I work, the luckier I get. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> and there's also the T shirt, the older I get, the better I was. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, you know, I guess you never know the path that you don't take because you never get to see that path. But, you know, for example, you said moving to the States, you know, a lot of yep. guys, they just said, you know, like Paul Anka went to went to uh, New York. I talked to Andy Kim and he said, you know, I was, I was this guy in Montreal. I said, I'm going to New York, 16, yeah. 17 years old. That's it. I'm going down there to make my way. Yep. And, uh, you know, you never know what would have happened had you done that. But a lot of Canadians, did you ever think that you wanted to live down there and sort of pursue that market?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I, I used to love Cal, you know, not so much now, although I still, I still have a soft spot in, in my heart in California. And I do love it down there. You know, I mean, I went down during the, uh, spring before the summer of love, uh, mm-hmm. and, and hung out, uh, in the hate. There's a friend of mine who's a photographer a pal from Kelowna. And, uh, he was, he was doing photography down there. So, yeah, we kind of hung out in, in the hate for a while, and it was it was magic. I it mean, would have been sixty six then, 1966? Well, no, it would be the spring of uh, spring of sixty seven. Of sixty seven, that was the summer. Yeah, of towards the course. end of the summer, you know, the speed Freaks started coming in, and uh, the angel started getting a bit uh, hmm. over the top and stuff like that. But in yeah. the uh, the spring and the early summer, the hate Ashbury was. I mean, yeah. I'm so lucky to to have have been there and, 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 experienced that when it was, it was at his best, you know? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that was cool. a wonderful but, thing. But and again, also uh, the, I'm yeah.
0: sorry. Oh, but your life, I mean, living there would have been a different sort of scene, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it would have been, uh, I mean, Jack Velker, don't know if you know Jack Velker or not, but he's oh. an amazing keyboard player. Um, gosh, what was his band? Of, what was his band called? uh the 49th parallel maybe uh but he went down and did a lot of studio work in LA and stuff and you know we, we played with him in the waves band him and Ross Barrett. Yeah. and uh yeah it it, it it he said it just burned him out you know it, mm-hmm. it really did And uh, the pressure and stuff well you know um Ralph Dyke uh who's just this amazing guy we we got when he was he did this compressor for Terry Frewer uh, Tom Hazlitt and me, and it was just an astounding compressor that just kind of happened. But it broke down, and I went over to his place uh, for him to get it to fix it and happened to see an astronomy book. And he uh, yeah. he said, well, he, he knew what I was doing up at UBC on, on the 12-inch, and he traded me some telescope time for, to get the oh, cool. uh, to get the compressor fixed. But he, um, yeah, he talks about, he used to work with David Foster down down at Izzy's, you know. Yeah. And he used to talk about... Um, they used to call him Fearless Foster, uh, down in LA, but he, he talked about David Foster burning out for a while there too, yeah. you know, and who wouldn't, well, uh, yeah. with that, with that kind of intensity and that lifestyle. Well, and I read, uh, yeah,
0: that's the, that's the thing I usually ask, you know, like I read David Foster's book and, and I mean, he, I often ask people, what did you sacrifice to get what you got? Cause everybody's paid a price. You know, when yeah. you see somebody on stage in a big band or something, they've paid a price to be there. Yeah. I was asked, what is that price? And was it worth it? And for David Foster, you know, he's, he's kind of on both sides of that. Cause he was a workaholic and working 12, 14, 16 hour days and daisy chaining projects one after another, Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's got to suck the life out of you at some point. So did you, yeah. did you sacrifice anything? I mean, were you able to have a sort of a stable kind of life family? Oh, whatever?
1: I suppose. I mean, I have to say that in the, and we weren't, you know, all that big really in the overall scheme of things not at all you know but I have to say when the poppy family was going full blast it wasn't a particularly it's weird though you know you think it would be god here you are you know you're standing in front of you know 10,000 people or you know eight thousand people or something like that and you're you know blah 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 but it wasn't a particularly happy time in my life for somebody hmm. or other i don't know you know uh, and i'm not complaining i was glad i got there and glad to do yeah. it but i i can't imagine being at that level for you know five years for 10 years or something like that yeah just uh yeah
0: well that's uh, yeah it's funny because i watched the triumph uh documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but they just recently did a, a documentary on Triumph and that's what Rick I'm looking Amp-
1: forward I'm looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and uh, and that's the point Rick Emmett made. He said I just all I could see was another tour, another album, another, yeah. you know, that the same sort of pressure for the next so many years and I just couldn't I couldn't live that life. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I can kind of see, right? Because you're basically setting yourself up for a life that you don't want to live. <laughs> yeah. Sand, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have fewer choices. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think one of the things about life is is uh, choices. If you can keep, as, you know, so you have so many, have as many choices as you possibly can, But you start to lose choices and it gets narrowed down, then it uh, becomes less fun.
0: Well, and for me, I would never have toured. I just could, I didn't like it. And I wanted to have a life. I wanted to have a family and I wanted to raise my kids. And I just didn't yep. want to live my life on the road out of a suitcase. No yep. matter, you know, I didn't think any gig was worth that. So,
1: well, you know, the Shadrachs, Probably toured for 10 years, I guess, you know, and this is like, you know, many berries, Saskatchewan you know? right. <laughs> doing a winter tour in Alberta with a yeah. 57 Chevy and a trailer and five guys wow. um, <clears throat> at, um, you know, minus 20. I mean, there's the time that we, uh, uh, you know, we're heading to a gig at Sylvan Lake, and somehow the other guys all went with the girls who knew where the uh, where the hall was, and myself and the uh, bass player went to my 57 Chevy, and uh, we had our little gray flannel band suits on, towing the trailer. And there's a Siberian front came through with a blizzard. And all of a sudden the car started heating up. There's nobody on the freeway at all. And um, I guess when it gets really cold like that, the radiator freezes. And paradoxically, Mm -hmm. the engine overheats and blows up. And there we are dead with our little bell bottoms standing there on the side of the freeway with this, uh, you know, 30 below. And uh, thank God a semi came (laughs) along. Yes. And uh, picked us up and took it to his gas station. Also, the time we wound up in an airplane trying to get off a lake, trying to make less vote happy oh, <laughs> by doing a Prince George uh, gig when the car broke down and took us three tries to get off the water wow. with the bulrushes slapping against going Wap, bap, 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 wow. against the uh, floats.
0: You're lucky to be alive, is what
1: you're saying. Well, yeah, I guess so. You know, you think of Buddy Holly, Ritchie Valens, uh, Patsy Cline, yeah. all that stuff. We Jim figured Crochet. that. I figured that was it. Here yeah. Well, we Jim Crochet, right same. You know, he died in a plane crash, 30, yep. thirty years. Yeah. Ago. No, that was a that was a yeah. close one.
0: <laughs> well, that's very cool, Noah. Thanks yeah. for sharing all that. And you're still active, right? You've still got things going on
1: lots going on yeah i'm not doing too much playing right now because i'm so focused on uh, trying to look at monetizing this vr thing and get our new show in but you know with me at ebbs and floats i'll probably come back around and um start embarrassing myself by playing the guitar you know
0: (laughs) good well you're an inspiration because you've been around for a long time and you're still active and i want to be that way too i'm i'm just going to go as long as i can go and like my one buddy said i'm going to live while i'm alive and when it's over that's fine but until that day comes, I'm going for it. So,
1: Well, thank you. It's nice, yeah. to, nice to hear. And yeah, I think that's the only way, you know. The Japanese have a term they call it ikigai. Hmm. And it means uh, reason to get out of bed, you know.
0: Many thanks to Craig McCaw for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his incredible experiences in the music business. And more information is available at roundhouseproductionsshows.com com. And we hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media as well so other people can enjoy it too. And until next time, I'm Dan Harris.